The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. I'm Cheryl G. with the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. I am um, going to be, I guess, your lead host for today, but I also am delighted to have a co-host with us um, today, and that is Linda Schub. Linda, thank you for being on the line. Oh, my pleasure. Yes, and uh, also we have Valerie Wright with Right Ideas Unlimited from West Palm Beach, Florida, on the line with us. Valerie has been our associate producer for the last, uh, what, two years now, right, Valerie? Yes. And she's going to join us in this discussion as well as continue to um, accept your calls as you call in today. So please join us for the conversation if you have comments and thoughts on today's topic, which is navigating and surviving in times of budget cuts. We'd love to hear from you, questions or comments. Okay, so to get started, Linda, why don't we welcome you again to the show and have you just share a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Linda. I live in San Diego, and I have a business that services nonprofits, public sector, and uh, biotech and pharma in terms of strategic planning and leadership development. Um, I've been very involved in the nonprofit world and very interested in the leadership issues because it is such a different um, environment than corporate America and the expectations are so different and I am fascinated by the challenges that leaders face and how the, they've developed skills to um, meet the new challenges, be they budgetary or personnel related or compliance and legislative related and I'm just delighted to be here on the show with you. Okay, great, and, and just um, pleased to have you here. So we have uh, Linda that's joining us as a co-host. Jenny Firmer will continue to be with us as a co-host. And uh, we're also expecting another co-host that will be joining us. So very soon we'll be like The View, coming to you from San Diego, California, West Palm Beach, Florida, and in the middle, Omaha, Nebraska. So really looking forward to that format starting uh, perhaps in July, kind of kicking off with the theme. So we'll see how that goes. That's um, underway. So stay with us for more developments. Valerie, do we have any questions from our listening audience? Yes, we do, Dr. G. We have... um I guess I'll start. I have two right now. I'll start with um, George from California. George says, I know that this recent fiscal crisis has affected nonprofits in many ways. Can you discuss why it has had so much of an impact on the financial well-being of nonprofit services, nonprofit service in the community? Yeah, uh, George, thank you so much for your question. 
um, you know, I think as much as we would all just love to think if we have the passion and the desire, we can provide the service and that's all it takes, um, that would be wonderful. And unfortunately, in order for us to do, to provide the service, um, it really does take revenue very often. Um, revenue not only to ensure that we have uh, staff that can deliver the services, but also, you know, very often for you know, if we're serving meals, we have to be able to, you know, have the um, means to purchase the food and so on and so forth, necessary, you know, deliver the food, whatever. Everything uh, that uh, we do requires some type of um, some type of resource to do it. And so when the federal government uh, reduces the funding to organizations or the state, reduces funding, or just our um, other funders, uh, be it private donors or whomever, when our budgets are reduced, then it does have a rippling effect to the services that we're able to uh, provide to the community. <clears throat> Very often, um, we have programs where, um, in fact, here at the Neighborhood House in San Diego, we have one program that is you know, fund it to the extent to where we don't have to subsidize it, but our other nine social service programs are subsidized, which means the money that we receive is not enough to deliver the service to the community. So even without the budget cuts, very often we're um, in the red um, with the deficit. So um, typically, and I don't remember, I want to say probably we rerun anywhere from a three hundred fifty to 400000 plus uh, subsidy where the agency, we have to raise money to cover programs that aren't um, covered by um, other entities. So, so George, it's, um, it's really just a rippling effect that regardless of how much we desire and want to provide the service, when the budget is cut, it impacts um, our reach in the community. Um, Valerie or Linda, anything you want to add to that? Linda, I'll defer to you. Um, you know, I got disconnected for the last few minutes, but there was—is there a new question or is it the same question? It was. The, it was. I was asking if there's anything you wanted to add to George. George was saying, um, just kind of given the financial crisis, he's noticed an impact on nonprofits and um, its ability to deliver services to the community. And he wanted to kind of know why. Can we discuss that a little bit? Valerie, anything you would add? Or Linda gets a chance to maybe think about that. She had anything you want to add? Uh, you, yeah. uh, there are several things that I think um, even in the, you know, we talk a lot about government, state, and local, federal cutting their funds. We have to remember during this financial crisis as well, finan- uh, foundations lost about 28% of their capital um during that process as well. So where they were giving more, they've lost part of their portfolio, if you will, so they don't have as much to give and then um, became more targeted in their giving. Also, with the number of natural disasters that we've had, a lot of resources went to help victims of disasters rather than to social services and community services organizations or organizations that provide those services in communities. I think that impacted um, nonprofits as well. And I think just in general, people who were donating to organizations, as you say, Dr. G, just a rippling effect um, 
that those donors who maybe got hit, a lot of people got laid off, so and they were givers, and now they're in a position where they can't give what they used to. So I think that had uh, a financial impact on uh, nonprofits as we have been going through this, quote-unquote, fiscal crisis. Um, and I think the others, um, nonprofits had a period of time where they were used to getting funding without, you know, a lot of repercussions to the return on investment. So they spent as if they were still getting large sums and have put themselves in a deficit so, to, deficit, so to speak, in terms of how they've internally managed their money. They spent as if they had these continuous streams, uh, pockets of money where it wasn't coming in. And let me add one complicating and not well-known fact. It's my understanding that the government grants that are coming through have a significant reduction in the monies that can be spent on costs to administer the grant. So whatever percent it costs a nonprofit to actually, it's called cost of grant ownership, and whatever it costs them, you know, 12%, 17% to run that grant, that money has been pulled. So their infrastructure, internal money, is taken away for the folks that work on the compliance and go out and do the training and uh, community education about these programs. And I think that, too, has had an impact because people are thinking differently about accepting grants. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, absolutely. I know that um, that's been a a huge um, shift in the nonprofit arena where we've had to really think about um, when someone has a grant and they're looking for someone to um, apply for the grant, you know, we have to think, can we afford it? We, we want to provide the service to the community, but can we afford it? Because very often it's not enough to cover the expense of actually delivering the service to the community. So it does create um, a burden very often to the existing programs, and it's, you know, how do you cover that, that deficit? So, um, so certainly, George, I think you can kind of hear in this conversation the rippling effect. Valerie, was there something else you wanted to add? No, I, I just, <clears throat> I, I agree, and I do think that, um, you know, organizations uh, you know, to the point of what you're saying about uh, being able to have a grant that's fully funded, some organizations have accepted grants without having full funding for that grant uh, in order to carry the program out. And again, they find themselves uh, short of funding, mm-hmm. but carrying and carrying a burden of debt because they mm-hmm. are debt or deficit mm-hmm. uh, trying to manage that program without full funding. Right. Uh, right, and I think that that does lead us into, you know, one, I think, conclusion that can surface from this bit of the conversation that George has um, stimulated is just really making sure that we as nonprofit leaders um, in public sector leaders as well, but we really look at what are we being asked to do, what are we being given the resources to do, and making wise decisions as to is that um, a service line we can sustain being in. Absolutely. And not and not every grant, just because someone's, you know, offering something is something that is, 
you know, something we should go after. It, we, we have to, it can be part of our mission, but it still may not be structured in, way, in such a way that it's going to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks again, George. Uh, Valerie, do you have another question? Yes, I do. I have a question um, from Jennifer in Arizona. Jennifer says, I'm the CEO for a nonprofit facing a 15-cent reduction in income based on uh, less fundraising and cuts in state funding to our programs. I'm facing the difficult process of internal budget reduction. My question is, how do we reduce our budget without compromising our organization's mission and without making staff positions the sacrificial lambs? Mm, Jennifer, thank you for your question. Um, looks like we yeah, need to uh, take a yeah. Looks like we actually need to go to break. So when we come back, Linda, we'll ask you to share your thoughts for Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for um, sending that in, and we'll be right back and be looking to receive more questions and continue this dialogue on navigating and surviving in times of budget cuts. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You 
are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we're back with more on Leadership Matters. Informing leaders, inspiring solutions. <coughs> with us today, we have a co-host, Linda Shoup. Linda, thank you for being on the line today. Thank you. And then we also have Valerie Wright, our associate producer with Wright Ideals Unlimited out of uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, thank you, Valerie. Thank you, Dr. G. Good to be on. Mm-hmm. Before we went to break, we were responding to a question, or I should say about to respond to a question from Jennifer in Arizona. Um, you know what? Why don't we go on and have you give us a summary of that question, Valerie? And then, Linda, I know before we went to break, you were going to respond, so we'll carve out some space for you to do so. Yes. Uh, Jennifer is the CEO of a nonprofit. She has a 15% reduction she has to make to her budget, and her biggest concern is how to do that without compromising her organization's mission and without making staff positions uh, the sacrificial lamb in that process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I had some thoughts, uh, Jennifer. Thank you for the question, and I have four very specific ideas that I've seen other nonprofits um, implement in a situation like that, and um, the they range completely. They range, so this is in no particular order. But I have seen a nonprofits and their executive directors or CEOs negotiate the scope of a contract and perhaps take out a piece or a grant or a program that is not self-sustaining, and that's a bit of a, a terminology that I hear a lot more of the nonprofit leaders using these days around is it self-sustaining, does it pay for itself, how can we get it to be, either through sponsorships or the small fees or negotiation of the scope of the deliverables, a, and that does not impact staff. Another idea that I've seen and participated in as part of a nonprofit is um, there are ways, now Head Start does this out here in San Diego, MAC Project does this, there are ways to count volunteer hours to get uh, the equivalent of financial compensation by volunteers by, that take the work off of staff, and you can count those volunteer hours as in-kind donations by multiplying the number of hours by the value of the labor for that job or that task. And that also will reduce the bottom line because you it's as if you are having money in to in-kind hours, the money that did not get spent saves staff. Um, I have also, there is a franchise out there called... Um, I believe it's called expense reduction or cost reduction, and they will come take a look at any organization's operations and um, tell you approximately ways to save money and how much, and for the first year, they take a pretty healthy percentage, but then after that, you are left with the cost saving. And finally, the fourth thing I've seen is partnerships, so that redundant work 
can be eliminated, particularly partnerships in areas of support services, be that, um, and people may have different opinions about this, so I don't mean to insult anybody, but uh, shared resources in terms of uh, uh, human resources, IT, uh, uh, advertising, uh, and community education, and I've also seen things, for example, our food bank goes out and multitasks. When they distribute food, they also pre-register people for food stamps. So they're getting a multiple benefit out of the same thing, and the community is getting a benefit. So Jennifer in Arizona, which is my home state, um, and I love it, and I know you're really hot um, those are four ideas. I don't know if they sound appealing or usable, but I hope that's helpful. Okay, great. Thank you, Linda. Uh, Valerie, any additional thoughts for yourself? Or did you say that we had a caller on the line? Yes, we have a caller on the line, Denise in, from Florida. Okay, great. Denise, welcome to Leadership Matters. Thank you, Dr. G. How are you? I'm fine. How about yourself? Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I've been listening to the show, and it's really, really interesting. Um, and I, I hear this question regarding uh, reduction in your budget when things are tight. Um, and I, I really agree with the, the answers that have been given. just want to share a couple of things that um, uh, may benefit as well. Okay. Denise, are you on a speakerphone by chance? No, I'm not. Oh, for some reason, I feel like I'm hearing an echo. Okay, I will take the, uh, I, I am using my headset, but I'll take it. Oh, okay, great. Okay. Okay, is this better? Oh, yeah, a lot better. Thank you. Okay, great. Great. Okay. Um, a couple of the things that I was looking at when we're, we're looking at reducing um, the budget, well, compensating for places where we know the, the budget needs to be reviewed and cut um, in my experience, one of the other things is really looking at um, the operating budget. I know a lot of times when we start looking, we look at programs to see where we can make those reductions. But also I found it beneficial to look at the overall operating uh, budget for the facilities as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I know your other guests mentioned partnering and having uh, there is. Uh, services that can come in and look at your programs, talk about how you can do things better. They're also like the utility companies will come in to look at your company, make sure that you are um, green efficient, even though you may have an older building, where you can save on the cost of running electricity and your water, those kind of things to help reduce the, the cost for actually operating your facilities. Those funds can then be transferred over to um, help run those programs. Great, um, love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of the other things is you're also speaking of um, partnering with other uh, organizations or agencies. That partnering can be extended to sharing facilities. That you can also reduce um, the cost because you're then using facilities that you may use all of the time, each time, you can cut some of those um, in those areas as well. And Great. those are a couple of things that I've, I've uh, used in nonprofit as well. Yeah. Great. And I think just to add to what yourself and Linda have provided, um, Jennifer, the other thought 
um, it's probably not the best thought, but it can sometimes be better than um, losing current staff is is trying to um, bring things in through attrition um, where you have vacancies, not filling those vacancies to try and um, maybe redesign jobs to cover existing responsibilities. Sometimes, again, as Linda said, things may have to be rescoped and renegotiated when funding uh, drops, um, but that might be another way of, of um, I think, the way that you said it, sacrificial lambs, not having to um, lose existing staff or reduce existing staff's hours. And sometimes that might actually be what happens. Um, and maybe your operational hours are uh, reduced so that uh, you can uh, afford to to have, uh, you know, more, not so many people maybe lose their, um, lose their positions. And, and it is, it's, it's like, how do we do what we need to do and be responsible for the community, and at the same time, how do we also do what we need as leaders of the organization and uh, be responsible and um, uh, courteous and caring toward employees who are delivering services? And and it is a um, it's a balance that we all try to you know try to um, achieve with uh, certainly the community's needs um, in mind and understanding and knowing that, you know, our employees are certainly part of that community. Uh, any other additional thoughts for Jennifer? Well, you, know, you, you mentioned this, Cheryl. I'll just say one thing quickly, and that is I've seen uh, both public sector organizations as well as nonprofits where each employee gives they work a 36-hour week, for example, and those four hours go to keep the other employees from getting laid off. So they all mm-hmm. chip in four hours a week, and mm-hmm. that, of course, will depend on the number of staff. Um, so it's mm-hmm. like when uh, I've also seen programs where someone has to take long-term leave, and people will donate their leave days for that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did have... Um um, we've had some voluntary furloughs and uh, looking toward having more of a mandatory furlough so as to not lose staff um, but meet our new mandate with regards to our reduction in funding. Uh, and that can be challenging, um, but it may be what, what has to happen. I know that uh, for our, my own team, when we had to uh, do a reduction, I was able to sit down with our team members, and we had some who really wanted to work less hours, and we had some who really, their lifestyle was such to where they, it was going to be a really big hardship if they had to be reduced. And so our department was able to meet our reduction in such a way where um, it it created less pain because the um, employees who said that their lifestyle and just really their preference was to to be able to reduce their hours reduced so that those that really felt like it was going to be a hardship for them to not reduce did not have to reduce. Um, And that was, I think, uh, that was a relief for all of us. I think we're now facing some more difficult times, and um, I think on the horizon for us may be a mandatory uh, furlough, I think, at this point as uh, one of those um, options for achieving that, you know, a reduction that we're facing. 
So, uh, Jennifer, again, thank you so much uh, for your call. And I think Linda has given you some ideas regarding rescoping, maybe leveraging the use of volunteers, and um, looking at how you can reduce other costs, as Denise said, with regards to operational costs. And both mentioned partnering also as some options to think about and, you know, um, not filling vacancies and doing all we can to redesign, rescope, and best leverage existing staff to not have to hopefully uh, reduce or leave or lose more than more than necessary so that we don't have sacrificial lambs, as Jennifer put it. Um, looks like we need to take a break. Jennifer, thank you so much for your question. And Denise, thank you so much for calling in. Appreciated hearing your voice. Please call in if you have additional comments and questions. And we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, talking today about navigating and surviving in times of budget cuts. More on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Today's business marketplace is becoming increasingly global thanks to technologies that didn't even exist a few short years ago. Your business might be a startup or you might be one of the global 500. Either way, you're probably looking at customers and competitors in faraway regions. Listen for Global Reach with host Tay Revez as she brings together experts, ideas, and listeners to help you anywhere in the world. Global Reach is broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. 
And we're back with more on Leadership Matters. Today we're talking about navigating and surviving in times of budget cuts. Valerie, do you have another question from our listening audience? Yes, I have a question from Angela in Florida. Angela said, uh, question reads, what should I take into consideration for how I communicate to staff about company budget cuts and reduction in staff? How do I communicate how do I best communicate this message? Should I use staff meeting, letter, or individual department leaders to mm-hmm. carry the message? Thank you, Valerie. Thank you, Angela in Florida, for your question. Uh, Linda or Denise, either of you, I'm sorry, or Linda or um, Valerie, thank you. Mm-hmm. Either of you want to uh, start off with the response to Angela? Or in, and actually, I said, Denise, that was our last um, call-in guest, and please feel free to call in if you have thoughts for Angela as well. Okay. I, um, I, I would start, uh, I think the foundation for any message has to be making sure it's a balanced message between, oh, God, the sky's falling in, the company's falling apart, and, you know, business as usual, that people clearly understand. You don't want to create a sense of panic, nor do you want people to think, oh, we got to make changes, but, you know, not today, everything's fine. Um, be really clear about what you're facing um, and what uh, the sense of urgency but not panic, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think it's important to be transparent um, so that as you deliver, as you begin to make changes and make decisions, keep staff abreast, you know, in small ways. So, you know, you don't have to come and hit a drop a big boom one day. So we're looking at, you know, um, maybe cuts across the board. That's one of the things we're considering. So people understand maybe not only will salaries get cut, there may be cuts to programs. You communicate. Um, consistently as you're going so people feel like they know what's going on. Because the first thing that happens when you say budget cut is people start going, am I going to lose my job? And I have seen in instances when when that happens, uh, employees that you don't want to lose are the first to begin looking outside of the organization so mm-hmm. that they can land in a safe place. They are going to beat the cut. Um, so you want to make sure that you do that. You want to communicate I think very clearly to all who need to hear, board, staff, donors, others, craft the right message for each of your stakeholder groups. I think those are uh, three key things I would think about as I plan my communications. Excellent. Love it, Valerie. Thank you. Linda, anything you would add? Um, Yes, I believe that Angela in Florida asked uh, either kind of a, should I do this, this, or this? And the answer that I wrote down was yes, yes, and yes. Use your uh, department meetings. Use your all-hands meetings. Use your written communication. Um, I have seen, you know, it takes people three times to recognize a message in different, and it's more quickly done through different media. So, a large staff meeting would be good, a smaller department meeting. Also, recently, I have heard of a couple different uh, CEOs who have sent out an all-company voicemail or created a link to an all-company video so that after or prior to or 
as one of the methodologies for informing them, they have a common message that everyone can zero back in because usually after you hear it live from your own internal leaders, uh, there is a search by those employees for the innuendo, what does this mean? So you could do something, and an organization could video or audio tape a message from leadership um, with this is what we know, this is what we don't know, this is what's true, this is what's not true, and possibly something like a rumor hotline, we heard X, Y, Z. So there could be follow-up by saying, on the rumor hotline, we got these five questions, let us give you an answer. And that, again, could be an email you know, distribution to all or through the verbal passing down of messages. What I usually find is some people do a great job of taking the message that they were given from their uh, supervisors or upper leadership, and other people either reinterpret, uh, misinterpret, choose their own set of words that may have different meaning. And with our bilingual, bilingual and multi, or it's, it's multilingual and multinational uh, societies. We have to be, I think, careful that the interpretation is accurate and there's a chance for clarity there, as Cheryl mentioned. Mm-hmm. Great. I think that's some um, additional good food for thought, Angela. You know, I'll share, Angela, we're in the process of dealing with some budget cuts that will have some impact with regards to staffing, and our senior staff did get together and um, collectively crafted a communication that was then um, drafted into an e-blast that went out internally to staff, and then a follow-up letter was sent to staff at home, and then when we had our all-staff meeting, the CEO carried that message further forward uh, verbally, and along the way, the department heads were um, informed so that they are positioned to answer additional follow-up questions. So I, you know, pretty much agree with what Linda was saying as well with regards to it is a both-and. It's not a either-or. Um, and I think having that um, collective message, as Valerie said, um, being clear with it, trying to create a sense of urgency and yet at the same time not a panic is um, is critical. Um, anything else we'd add for Angela? Yeah, I think the message <clears throat> has to be um, consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes how we communicate, so I think that that message has to be clearly crafted and communicated to key leaders who are then conduits for making sure it gets down to um, all levels of the organization. So whatever uh, the president said in the all-staff meeting needs to be clear as it's communicated by department heads. And I just reiterate that because misquotes become that rumor meal that um, Linda spoke of. So Mm -hmm. just really making sure the message is consistently the same. Yeah, I love that. And and I'll say, um, kind of pulling that piece together, I'll say clear, clear, um, consistent, and compassionate. Um, Three nice C words. 
to think about. Linda, were you saying something? Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you. You gave us a good example on the break of how you you all do it. Your leadership team works together and then passes the message up. If you would describe that, I think it'd be really helpful. Yeah, I actually felt like I did. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I couldn't remember if it was on the break or with everybody here. Yeah. (laughs) But no, I mean, and in summary, it is really just kind of in action, pretty much what you and Valerie have um, described. Yeah. I just think... The message is very important. People in these times, I think, in some way anticipate or expect because they are watching the news. They know when the government says it's cutting uh, funding to certain programs or they know as as well as management or leadership in an organization what's happening in in terms of funding and mm-hmm. resources, often they are just as informed as we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 important thing is to make sure that what what our organization intend to do is consistently communicated mm-hmm. and uh, out in front of rumors getting started, so that there isn't a you know the skies falling in kind of right. thing going on in the organization because yeah. it then creates bad a bad culture because people begin to believe they have to compete for their job in a in an unhealthy way in terms of what do I need to do to make sure I'm the one still here at the end of the day when mm-hmm. the cuts happen you know Right, and so, yeah, and and actually that kind of, again, for me, the compassion piece is keeping in mind, how is your your message going to be received by others? I think the other thing that during this time when we're navigating and trying to survive in in these um, times with limited um, revenue or limited um, funding, it's so important that we not lose vision. Uh, we don't want our visioning to be limited to our funding. We, yes. we need to still have um, our our mission in mind and our vision with regards to the outcomes that we want to produce mm-hmm. as we serve the community um, through those missions. Mm-hmm. So um, we keep the vision, and then we look for creative, alternative ways of still bringing to fruition that which we want to bring to fruition. Because I think organizations that don't do that, organizations that look at the revenue and they say, oh, you know, we just can't do it, and their, their um, vision is limited to what they can see um, versus being able to look beyond the circumstances and still having that um, vision beyond to say, okay, here's what we're trying to accomplish and let's see how we can drive forward toward it. And it may not be that we do it in the same conventional ways we've been doing it with funding, but how else might we do this? I think those are your organizations that are going to survive and continue to thrive. So not really letting the budget cuts cut our dreams and cut our vision and cut our hope. Because, you know, when when the vision goes... When the hope, you know, without hope, you have no vision. When you have no vision, you really don't have anything driving that organization forward for continued survival. Right. Mm-hmm. It's something, and I would tie that back to the question Jennifer from Arizona asked about without compromising the organization mission. One of the things I thought about and didn't say you earlier what, is... Uh, Valerie, I'm going to put a comma right there. Okay. I want you to come back and make that point. It looks like we have to go to break again. So stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions.
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Tune in every week for the Ellis Martin Report. Our program will bring you the news and information that you need each week. We look at publicly traded small and mid-cap companies from a variety of sectors. We'll talk to key people in the industry to bring you the foreground and background of new and up-and-comers for potential investment. Please remember, invest only at your own risk. The Ellis Martin Report is meant for information purposes only. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we're back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. Valerie, before we went to break, you were about to share a little uh, piece of information. I think it, it looped back to Jennifer's question. Yes, to Jennifer and something you said uh, in terms of finding ways to do things, make things happen in different ways, you know, recognizing that it's not business as usual. We've got to be creative. And I was thinking to uh to her question about mission and staff positions is how you, finding new ways to fundraise that make every person in the organization responsible for fundraising. You know, I think we have fundraising really focused and expertised out, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and how, our, a lot of employees, we, we haven't tapped into their resources and their reach Mm-hmm. And I, I remember when I worked at Neighborhood House and uh, you would go out to some of the centers and they had done things in their communities that brought in resources for their individual centers. Mm-hmm. And they did that without training from, you know, the development department. They did that without, they just did it because they had a passion for their center. And I think if you did that in a more focused and collective 
way um, you could generate the resources, but it would also be a part of how you communicate what we're doing in the organization in terms of budget cuts and what what can be done beyond focusing on budget cuts and reducing staff and that kind of thing, make it a part of the positive message we communicate about budget cuts. Mm-hmm. Right. I think I think um, and, and so and so and I know that in some of our programs we cannot fundraise, and so I don't know that it's so much in that case as much fundraising as much as fundraising right. those who might come in and do things that um, enriches the learning experience. I know we've had parents that brought in things from their um, from their cultural background, and others that have been willing to come in and do and, and do readings and. Um, and um, help with art, with our uh, with our, our art exhibit and other things. But yeah, all those things provide enrichment without necessarily having to have increased budget. So yes. great, excellent point, Valerie. Do you have any other questions from our listening audience? I do. I have a question from Maryland in California. Uh, Maryland's question states: Our organization has done everything we can, including across the board cuts, furloughs program cuts, staff reduction, and even rotating one-day weekly closures in certain programs. Now our focus is employee morale. How do we keep employees focused on service not and not losing their jobs during this process? How do we keep them uplifted? Oh, that's such a great question, Marilyn. Thank you so much. And Angela, thank you also for the question you sent us as well. Um, you know what? I think someone needs to mute their background. Good. I think I I was hearing a lot of um, additional noise, Marilyn. Um, that is such a critical question. I think one of the things is we have to always start with the end in mind. So if we're going through a process where we're engaging in staff reduction, um, survivor survivors of that reduction, they're going to be looking at how were their colleagues exited, and um, so it's so important that the offboarding is done with as much care as hopefully the onboarding is done. So that if I'm going to be let go, I know that I'm going to be treated in a um, in a dignified way. I'm going to be given as much notice as possible. I'm going to be provided with some transition services in, um, that then allows me to figure out how do I get connected to, you know, be it unemployment or whatever, so that um, it's done in a way that it feels caring, so those who stay can feel like, well, if this happens to me, I'll, you know, I'll have some support in transitioning out, so that they don't have this overwhelming concern with, you know, what if this happens to me? I think the other thing is for supervisors and management to continue to understand the importance of celebrating employees' successes and celebrating the good work that's being done, so that they are focused on still um, recognizing successes and building on those successes to further enhance the excellence in the services that are being provided. I think sometimes we can become so paralyzed with um, stressful concerns that we forget the mission, and the mission begins to take a back door to the what-ifs with regards to our own personal lives. So my hope would be, one, that everyone's treated with dignity and respect and as much notice and transition support as possible so that, again, people don't feel like they were just cut down and, um, and so they have to really 
stay on high alert um, and don't feel like they'll have any transition time should they need to transition out, which is why it's so important for the management team to be on top of these things so that they can forecast for staff so that then the more, the more time we can provide with regards to how we transition, we can transition much more gracefully and with much more kindness and much more forewarning and, um, and maybe a little severance uh, pay that provides some transition for staff. And then, again, take care of those survivors. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Uh, just those are just kind of thoughts off the top of my mind and heart. Um, Linda or Valerie, anything you'd add to, for Marilyn? Mm-hmm. I have a couple of suggestions, and I think a lot of times as leaders we try to create a programmatic approach to motivating and inspiring employees, and that doesn't always work. I think one of... In my own personal experience, one of the best things that work is to bring either the group or smaller groups of employees together and ask them what could be done to motivate, inspire, uh, support them, uh, let them know that they're incredibly valuable to the organization, um, and that can be done at a group level. It can also be done at a one-on-one level because people... Uh, not only have different issues that they need support on, but they have a disparate level of a financial need for their job and the benefits that it provides. So mm-hmm. I have done both group questions, like what could we do collectively to keep our own morale up and help each other, as well as one-on-one, is there something that you need, you seem particularly burdened by this, and I just wanted to connect to you and see if there's a specific thing you're worried about that we might be able to uh, support you with. Mm-hmm. Great. Valerie, anything you'd add? <clears throat> Excuse me. I totally agree with what Linda said. I think about your Lift, Learn, and Serve team at Neighborhood House, how valuable that group will, uh, has been to the organization in terms of having a, um, a hands-on, the pulse of, where employees were at any given moment in the organization's um, cycle, you know, life cycle mm-hmm. or cultural, um, environmental. Well, you um, can't find the word, but with what's going on in the environment in the organization, being able to understand, uh, access that, and, and be proactive in solutions and ways to encourage and support employees. Uh, and then I think that there are some things that, you know, another thing that you did was make coaching available to employees so that they could find a place to talk about what's going on and redirect their energy and attention within the um, within the workforce. And just having that, um, as you started out with, Dr. G, just having a sense of celebrating and acknowledging those employees who were left behind, I think, in a way that says we know what you're doing, what you've taken on, and that we aren't forgetting that you're here and what you're dealing with. So I just um, think I agree with that and want to reiterate Mm -hmm. the importance of acknowledging, supporting, and celebrating employees who are left behind, and even those who are exiting. You Mm -hmm. know, sometimes 
we because it's a difficult job, we do it in such a way it feels punitive to those employees who have to leave, but we can even celebrate them before mm-hmm. they leave. You know, Absolutely. we make them sign the documents not to say anything negative about the company, blah, 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 but we can also celebrate them in a way that, you know, isn't over the top, but says, you know, we ha- even though we have to let you go, we recognize right. what an asset you've been to us, and we want to acknowledge that yes, uh, publicly absolutely. before I you leave. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Valerie, and thank you, Linda, for all of your contributions, and thank you so much to all of our listeners that listened today and that joined us in this conversation. Please join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Oh, 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 oh,